Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that will be enjoying Glastonbury from the comfort of our home. Because if you want it to be surrounded by entitled, annoying divvies, we go to Old Trafford. It's nearer. On today's pod, we're highlighting three defining fixtures from last season, all taking place pre-guitar. Next Friday, in a clever use of formatting, we'll be f- focusing on three defining games that unravelled post-World Cup. This one, though, should be really interesting, because the football on display from City between August and mid-November was very different to what ultimately secured a treble and history. It was brilliant, but flawed. Majestic, but inconsistent. And this is epitomised by our three choices that can be viewed as the good, the bad, and the fugly. Joining me to reminisce and revisit are two blues who are only one of those things, and it's not the bad or the fugly. It's Ben and Howard. Hi, Ben. You there? You well? Hi, Steve. Yeah, very good. Thank you. How are you? Sleep deprived, as I said off air. Uh, last night was unbelievable. I'm, I don't know if it's because it was too hot or what, but my baby did not sleep a wink. So very sleep deprived. But that aside, I'm very good. Thank you. Um, Howard, did you have a, a, a good solid eight hours? Yeah. First time in weeks and weeks. And week. <laughs> no, I, I feel much worse than I have in weeks. Well, really? I don't get it at all. I woke up like at 7 a.m., which is like an hour later than normal, and feel worse for it. <laughs> Maybe I'll feel the benefit later. I think Istanbul changed my body clock where you got used to sleeping on three or four hours for a few days. And yes, I generally wake up early anyway. Yeah, it's not helped at all. But hey, first world problems. So. Well, sleep is overrated. I remember actually. Uh, it isn't, Steve. It's absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Stop it. Um, someone put on Twitter, um, just post this, but Istanbul, um, I seem to be just existing at the moment on three hours sleep a night. This might be the future, you know. I thought, mm, let's see how long that lasts for. <laughs> quite um, quite seriously, though, it's it's not good for you at all. No, no, God, well, tell me about it. I mean, honestly, I'm just a zombie today, absolute zombie. It's your body recharge, it's brain and body recharging itself. You always try and get seven hours, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. tell someone's read a book on sleep, can't you? I've, I also remember reading once in, it has to be a four hour cycles, ideally. So basically, you feel better after four hours sleep than you would after six hours sleep. I don't know and the human doing. body, circadian rhythm, prefers two sleep cycles as well in 24 hours. So there you go. Oh. Have the afternoon nap if you want it. You're yeah, doing yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Any excuse? Educational. I'm, I'm only a couple of minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn into a real summer show. This answer, I'll give you my <laughs> recipes now as well. So. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> uh, let's get to the games. Um, we have chosen three, well, two cracking games and a real disappointment because that kind of sums up where we were going into the World Cup. We were superb one week, next week less so, and we just didn't really know which city we were going to turn up. Overall, I would say it was quite a successful first what would you call it first third of the season i guess um but there were problems and we will get to those problems in due course um the first game newcastle three manchester city three now the blues comfortably won their first two games without conceding a goal and they took an early lead at st james's park two via a typical gundo effort at this point all was well with the world but ben then newcastle started creating chances galore I mean, it was two or three really good chances um, before they equalised on our half-hour mark. Um, Ten minutes later, they were ahead by Callum Wilson. 
we were all very shocked by this. Naturally, we weren't used to this happening. Um, and when we look back at that first half, I, I remember, I can vividly remember the halftime chat in the, in the WhatsApp. We were kind of all at sixes and sevens. Ben, did we not realise at that juncture just how good Newcastle were going to be that season? No, I, I don't think we did. I mean, the previous season, obviously, this was Eddie Howe's first sort of full season. So the previous season, they'd he'd sort of come in, I guess, as a bit of a firefighter, hadn't he, really, to, to settle the ship for them. Mm. Um, and they, they, when I looked up, they, they finished 11th in the previous season. So I don't think we thought, I thought, I guess, early season predictions would have been, you know, maybe challenging for like um Europa League place or something like that. Um, certainly didn't, or I certainly didn't for sure predict that they'd, they'd finish in the Champions League spots this early in their sort of development. So I think, yeah, I think they, they also, um, towards the end of last season, I remember they, they came, they came to the Etihad and we sort of beat them 5-0. And I, I remember being at that game and sort of thinking, yes, they were good and obviously they'd improved from where they were at the start of the season with Steve Bruce. Um, but they were also sort of lacking and I, I guess, you know, we're obviously only three games into the season here where, you know, you, the sort of places and the, the spots in the league hadn't really settled down either. So, so yeah, so I think it was a, it was a shock. Um, it was obviously an exciting game, which we'll get into, but I don't, I think we were just learning really about Newcastle and what they, what they were and, and, you know, how they were going to get better. Um, and as you say, you know, we were coming off the back of two pretty straightforward wins. Um, so, and, you know, course City fans aren't necessarily the most confident or arrogant or anything but you know I still think we thought you know a routine win was uh was on the cards really. Mm. I mean when you look at those two first half goals by Newcastle they were what very conventional you know it wasn't like they hit us in the break it wasn't anything exceptional on their on their part and they seemed to kind of just cut through us fairly comfortably um, no more so than St Maximan who was just tearing Kyle Walker and you one down down our right hand flank um, Howard Walker's form was becoming a concern at this point or was this the start of was, the concern was it I don't know I mean it's only well, the, as you say it's only the third game of the season so. yeah okay so you say we're not there yet with Walker well, and this was Obviously, if I, yeah, if we're doing these player reviews and with Walker might be going, it makes you think about his career and you know, you talk about him as the best right back in Premier League history. Mm. But he has had his dips, obviously. But a lot of the time when we talked about that is because he was playing football incessantly. Uh, you know, like if there was a summer tournament, there was a time where I think he'd been playing for like two years solid. And you know, he used to be in the team every single week if he was available. Uh there's no summer tournament this time, of course, and I think the key thing is now you can't really talk about someone's form third or fourth game into the season. That's fair. And you can't talk about City's form three or four games in the season. I should have looked at their early results for the last 10 years, to be honest, because and I always, I'm already fearing this for next season with a short, close season, players possibly leaving... Our season was longer than everyone else's, of course, and didn't you know, only finished in mid June. City, though, Pep looks at nine months, doesn't he? And we start, we can often start the season pretty slowly, so it really is hard to gauge. Not just City, but the opposition, and I think Newcastle, you know, just Walker as well. Now I don't, 
I don't have vivid memories of being particularly out of form, but you're right. I mean, it's about two players, is it not? San Maximan himself. You don't know what you're going to get with him. Yeah, the sort of performance he really puts on in this it, game, yeah. I think anyone in the world would struggle to deal with him. And of course, Kyle Walker would come and you know turn out to well before and after this game deal with world class better, pacier players uh, brilliantly for club and country on that mm. side of the pitch. So I think it was one of those days where San Maximum was utterly unplayable. But yeah, there was a sloppiness in that defence. You talk about the chances they had even before they scored. It's just pass, pass, and there were just gaps there, were they not? So yeah, I think he, he should just say as well, Newcastle away, even though we didn't know what we are going to get for them, would still have been a difficult one of the more difficult games of the season, even if we were expecting to finish seventh or eighth, I think I'd expect to go there, who they'd signed and where they were at, and expect one of the tougher games of the season. So I think what surprised me in the first half, as, as you say, just after we scored, there was nothing from us. You watch the highlights, it's just all in our third mm-hmm. and... It felt inevitable. <laughs> it really felt inevitable that they were going to score at least one goal after we took the lead. Um, Guardiola mentioned afterwards that his side lost two or three key duels um, and that proved costly. He mentioned duels a lot throughout the season um, and our back four that afternoon, Walker, Stones, Ake and Cancelo. It was a very different incarnation to what followed. Um Ben, how important ultimately was excellent one-on-one defending from Ake, Diaz and Akanji throughout the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, again, perhaps said many times, hasn't he, particularly in the Champions League, I think his success is that he, um, you know, he's basically got four defenders who who can defend. And I think that was that was critical really for us after, particularly after the World Cup, um, you know, for us to have that, that solid base. Um, I also think, and again, I mentioned this on a review, but I think at this point in the season, he was obviously still tinkering around sort of getting his control back. Now that we had Haaland, they've obviously given up an element of control. So how could we do that? And I think to, to go back to, to Walker's performance, I think if you remember that, um, you know, with, I remember when we played West Ham uh, on the opening day, he, uh, David Moyes was pretty, you know, he's praising the setup and everything pretty well. I remember him sort of saying we set up for something, but they played, I think he was saying they played the fullbacks tucked in alongside Rodri, so almost like two centre-backs and then three defensive midfielders. So I still think at this point, Pep was tinkering to to get the the best of the uh, the formation. Um, and I remember with, and the Newcastle game particularly, what was sort of Walker's undoing was that a lot of the time he was starting outside, whereas, you know, St. Maximum was literally touching um, hugging the touchline so so Walker was basically every time the ball went over to St Maximum he'd have to do like a 10 or 15 metre sprint just to get over there um, so I think I think in this game particularly it was more about the shape as we as we know and as we found out Walker wasn't necessarily suited to that role but but the shape just seems sort of all over the place I mean for that for that first goal and it's not even Walker that's out there I think it's Rodri sort of scrambling mm-hmm. over there along with John Stones so they just sort of looked at, at sixes and sevens really and didn't know what the structure was, what the shape was. Um, and then to go back to your original point, I think with those four 
centre backs or whatever we want to call it, whether it's the, the three centre backs, the two defence midfielders, it's just a lot more solid and they they're all, you know, focused on effectively defending. You know, and it's super, super simple. So so that was huge for us going forward because um it meant, yeah, we we could we could use that and utilise that option uh for Haaland. And if you remember as well, this was the game that Pep came out afterwards and sort of said we're we're playing it fast too. We're playing it too too quickly. I remember mm. this is the one where he sort of said, you know, Harland. We've got Harland who goes. We've got Foden who goes, and sometimes we need to to stop it. So we were, this was very sort of early on, I guess, in in how the the season was going to turn out in terms of how City played and what was the most effective. I wouldn't be surprised if Pep learnt more in this ninety minutes than he did in any of the other first ten games. Um, he really was. A test, wasn't it, up in the northeast, and it got worse as well in the fifty-fourth minute when a superb trippy free kick put Newcastle ahead. Um, how was, it's just one of those things that goal, isn't it? Just a spectacular, yeah. outrageous effort. <laughs> Obviously, no one to blame. Um, it's well, just sod's law that it happened to us. Uh, it's, I think it was Stones that gave the free kick away and a bit of a diving, yeah. which very uncharacteristic of him because, as you know, we don't practice tackling or do much tackling. So. Uh, yeah, I remember watching this as a friend and didn't realise it was on a delay, the game. <laughs> and I got a, an alert on my phone to say that Newcastle had gone 3-1 as I'm watching Trippier put the ball down, uh, you know, try, putting the ball on the turf. So I knew it was coming, which I think makes it even worse, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, it's just a brilliant free kick, wasn't it? So, and to be honest, at that point, I honestly thought it felt like the game was done because I'm... It was pretty early in the second half. That that's a bit defeatist, but yeah, it just it did feel on the day that Newcastle were were more up for it in a way and better organised. And it really was, <laughs> I think, testament to this to the first half of the season. I think this game does encapsulate a bit of everything because then what followed shows because it, because there was that stat one the years ago that when City went behind, oh you. To use this statutory half time thing, which doesn't really work. City, even when they were really good, would often not come from behind. Well, you know, if they went behind, that was it. And I think this game showed, you know, just what this team was made of. Yes, and the following week as well, which we'll come to, mm. um, because it was the first of two consecutive games where City found themselves two down, only to fight back and ultimately gain four points. Um, Dan, what could be taken from that? That I mean, both these things could be true, of course, but it certainly showed that City had the character now to really fight back. Um, But it also showed that our defence was conceding far too easily. I mean, two goals at Newcastle, three against Palace um, in the space of a week. That was very un-City-like and maybe a cause for concern too. Yeah, I mean, as Howard sort of touched on slightly in terms of going to Newcastle and particularly, you know, when they get the, the crowd up and everything like that, um, I think that that sort of game, I guess, was a little bit different from the Palace the Palace goals that we conceded, and they just we sort of looked shell shocked against Palace. It was one of those games, and again, you know, that happened later on in the season against Spurs and stuff, where all of a sudden, you know, we were we were one or two nil down. Um, so I think from the for the negative side, as I say, I put the Palace and Newcastle games a little bit a bit differently from that, but putting my sort of positive hat on, I guess what. This showed. I think in the past, you know, we've, we've proven that you know we can come back. You know, whether it had been against Villa, obviously the last game of the season, many games that we come back. So I wasn't in doubt about that. But I guess what 
this, particularly the Palace game, I thought um, was that, you know, this showed us that, you know, with Haaland in our team, effectively, we're never really out of a game. And also, we don't necessarily need to to play really well to to win a game. So, you know, he and, you know, his his goal against against Newcastle, obviously, absolute, if you watch it back, it's, it's a complete half chance that all of a sudden, you know, his outstretched limb comes out and smashes it into the roof of the net. Um, and, you know, the goals against Palace were, he obviously took them all well, but basically what this was teaching us is that he needs half a chance and then all of a sudden we're, we're back in the game. So that was a new sort of, you know, a, a new uh, a new weapon in our armoury as well. That's what it taught me. Well said, because that was exactly true of myself too. I, that, that was my big takeaway from this game. It was like, okay, we've got a very different weapon at our disposal now and a very potent weapon too. Um I mean, what, six, seven minutes later, was it? After uh, the triple free kick, Harlan struck from close range, as you said, just stuck out one of his limbs. Um, around this time, Howard, there's a lot of talk. I mean, this was the start of it. I, I guess this grew, <coughs> this conversation, <coughs> excuse me, um, this conversation grew in the coming weeks. But this was certainly around this time where people started saying, oh, he's only had, you know, nine touches in this game. And yet he's, <laughs> you know, scored this amount of goals. What do you, how did you feel about that time? I, I remember very much being in, my not, in the minority and I got a big kick from it. I wanted I wanted Erling Haaland to have as few touches as possible because what we were seeing was just crazy. The fact that this player could have so few touches and score so many goals. So I got a kick out of it personally. Did it annoy you? Because that certainly was a big talking point and something that people outside of the fan base were, were kind of focusing on, almost as a criticism. Yeah, it was too early in this game to to be talking about that because I think it was games afterwards where he was where he'd start racking up, yeah, you know, hat tricks and stuff, and you're like, well, no, yeah. why would I care that he had twelve touches and scored three goals? I think there was about there was a two week period or something where. Not only he might have got a goal still, and you're like, how can you complain? He's a striker who's yet again scored a goal like he did last week and the week before and the week before that, where he really was, he felt isolated in games, like he was getting virtually nothing, and it would happen periodically, periodically through the season, and but it was a very short period of a couple of weeks where I th- you know I did th- start thinking. Is he, you know, is he working in the system? Are we integrating him? But the stats were just so relentless, pretty much from the beginning. Apart from the one week I made him triple captain, of course, on Fancy Football League. Uh, was it home to Bournemouth or something when he didn't score at all? Yeah. Well, I thought, oh, he's going to clean up air. He was so relentless with the numbers that how could you have a problem with this? I mean, yeah. Of course, there was Tinker. Yeah, was, we said there were issues in his first half of the season defensively all over the place until we became a machine later in the season. But you can't really spend too much time talking about the touches a striker has when he's scoring on average about 1.5 goals per game and he's on course to, you know, smash, and he did smash about 25 different records during the season. <laughs> Seems a bit spurious in a way. And of course, it is his debut season yeah we'll, we'll get to that at later dates when we talk about him and he's just starting off on his journey if he starts in if he comes into the pep side and starts scoring goals then you can worry about the finer points later down the line to be honest so yeah okay fair enough i would 
The only bit I disagree with that is when you say it's spurious people talking about the lack of touches because I think genuinely some people it wasn't like an anti-city thing I think some journalists were just thinking of it as crazy that this player was having so few touches and scoring so many goals Um, you know others were using it to kind of have a little dig and a knock but um, I don't think that was you know right across the board but I'm I'm just kind of projecting there. Maybe maybe they are just arseholes. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. um, three minutes later, Bernardo gets his level, and Ben, how good was that Kevin through ball? I mean, it's just sublime. I mean, a through ball such as that, which takes out kind of three or four players, always obviously is going to be impressive, but so central in such a kind of packed area. Um, we know he can do it, but it's always glorious to see, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I um, in preparation for this, I watched the highlights last night and actually paused uh, the play when when the ball was at the Bruins' feet. And including yeah. inc- including City players, there's actually six players in between Kev uh, and Bernardo. And also, if you watch it, Bernardo doesn't even make the run. He sort of, if, if anything, he slightly leans one shoulder forward. His feet don't don't move, so it's almost like De Bruyne is basically not waiting for the run. He's just putting the ball in a place and basically saying to Bernardo, right, you get there now. I'm going to put it there. Um, and it was, it was perfect. It was almost, it was almost like a no look pass, but you know, it, was, it reminded me a little bit of that one. If you remember that he did um, against Stoke to Sane, where he basically, nobody else in the stadium can see the pass. Hmm. Um, he makes us almost like a pass down a sort of blind alley that, that takes out you know half a team and everybody it's not just I'd imagine with that sort of thing if you're on the pitch and somebody does that it's not just the fact that he's puts you know someone through one on one it's the fact that they're going to have a brief second where they think right where's the ball gone sort of thing yes. um, so yeah. so yeah it was pure pure genius from, from Kevin it was a really Really quick response from us, which, as, as you said, at sort of 3-1, when you were thinking when that free kick went in, you thought, oh, you know, we're not going to get back into this. But to sort of get back so quickly, um, you know, I think was, was was really good and really important that we did that. I think it's that sort of stadium that if it had gone on much longer or the longer that it had gone on, you know, the, we'd, have been, we'd have been walking out of there with a loss, I think. I think yeah. City have got a top 10 assists video on the site this week and... Needs to say that one's quite high up. So, well, uh, top ten assists of this season. Yeah. Oh, I'll that out later. Um, because yeah, I say subtly, I think I've said it on another pod. Chao Cancelo is number one. So, <laughs> was it because outside of his boot? Mm. Ooh. It was though. It was the uh, the high, with the, the Harland high boot. goal, basically. When he yeah, he's got his uh, feet up near his head. So. Mm. So, I don't know how he does it outside of his boot. Okay, <laughs> he could have had a couple in that second half as well. Harlan Kunti, I think there was. Is this one where he yeah. hit the post second half? What well, was first he, half? Wasn't it? First, he cuts in on his right foot, and it he got it out of his feet really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, yeah, just I think it was just before that Bernardo goal. Um, Kev puts Harlan through as yeah. well on a one-on-one. And Pope, Pope was on. Pope it. actually, yeah. And, yeah, and I think Pope actually touched that one onto the post, didn't he? I think that was a save as well mm. in the first half. So yeah, so, so yeah, it was better. It was yeah, it was a better half, I think, in making the chances. So I think Newcastle do deserve credit for how they kind of responded to us equalising. Um, they could have gone under. Um, they certainly went a bit more defensive, lost a bit of their ambition. Um, 
but still, I think they, they did well over the course of the full 90. Um, apart from perhaps um, a, a misdemeanor, we should call it, by Kieran Trippier. Um, I want kind of both your opinions on this because it's a really interesting one. Um, ben, actually, we should kind of bring up what happened just in case anyone doesn't remember. Trippier basically threw himself in into onto Kev De Bruyne um, a, a cynical foul, undoubtedly, um, and get a, a straight red. Uh, but VAR intervened, um, brought it back, referee had a look at it and reduced it to a yellow. Um, ben, what did you make of it at the time and what do you make of it now, kind of 10 months on? I, th- I think at the at the time, in as in live, um, I think because it was a, a lunge, I thought it was, it was rightly given as a red card. Um, when they they did the, the the VAR review, obviously Trippier s- sort of he doesn't have his studs up. He sort of pulls pulls his foot away ever so slightly, but it still is high. Um, and for me, um, it basically it shouldn't have been rescinded. I think it was the control element that they say in terms of was he in full control, and um, and I don't think he was. Also, for me, and I guess this this isn't in, in the rules in terms of you know it being a, a definite red card, but it was you know it was so cynical. Is that we were on the break? We just scored you know two goals not so not so long ago. Um, so and he, he just took him out. But um, but yeah, as I say, for me, because of the lack of control element, it still should have been a red card. Um, so I thought you know we were we were pretty hard done to that one. Do you agree with that, Howard, or mm. anything you disagree? Yeah. With? I mean, it was so it was quite late. I wanted like ten minutes to go, so not worth me getting too angry over. I'm absolutely. I mean, it set the scene for VAR the rest of the season for me. I'm absolutely staggered that a video referee could look at that and actually suggest it gets overturned. Yeah, I found a WhatsApp thread. Chris yeah. says he understands why it was. He, I think he says it's a red, but he he can see why it was overturned. So maybe I'm talking nonsense. If it hadn't been, it's a yellow card for the tackle itself in whatever form it, it is because yes. Spence said yeah. Kevin Doyle is about to break forward and literally go up the pitch and could have been a good, excellent goal-scoring chance for someone else or him. So for the foul alone, it's a clearest yellow ever. And then in, he might not have meant it, well, it doesn't really matter. He studs her up and hits him at his knee. And the video referee looks at that and decides to overturn it is just staggering to me. Absolutely staggering. If he'd got a yellow at the time and then it didn't go to VAR, I'll go, well, fair enough, he might, he's, he could have got away with that one. But for to have given a red and then overturn it is what really baffles mm. me and just goes to show that you, you might as well just toss a coin with VAR a lot of the time because you have no idea, even after watching replays, what is going to be decided. Yeah. So, in summation, then, the game, I personally put this down to an early season ding-dong, just a thoroughly entertaining match. Um, and it wasn't one I was overly concerned about. Ben, should I have been worried in hindsight? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think when you any any game, when you're two down and you come out of it with something, you know, I think I remember thinking that at the time as, you know, we'd effectively, we got out of there with a draw, we actually came back pretty well and played better in that second half. Um, so yeah, there wasn't there wasn't huge cause for concern. You know, again, if you look at the record at this point, 
two pretty straightforward wins, a draw away to Newcastle, which, which as we've touched on was still seen as a good result. So I don't think there was any any major concerns at this point. Moments, I guess, that we you know we've said about the defence looked uh, a little bit you know sort of sixes and sevens, but it was obviously a very small sample size at this point of the season. So I didn't f- feel at the time that there was there was much to be concerned about now. I would. I know we're, we're we're going back a good kind of ten months or so, but can you remember how you felt post match? Yeah, conflicted. I think. I think once we got back to three all, it was like we're going and win this now. Mm. And I, I don't remember there being guilt edged chances, but I think we were marginally better after that. But I think really the issue is here: the bar's so high that an away draw sometimes feels like a defeat for City. There was you can't map out what this meant for the rest of the season the third game of the season it just it never works like that for anyone let alone City so I think you come away from that and just say hey that was a cracking game both teams hadn't conceded in the league going into this game uh, Newcastle had drawn 0-0 at Brighton the week before and I think beaten Forest at home 2-0 or something so yeah you probably didn't see a 3 all draw coming and it, I think sometimes you have to not make conclusions and say wow that was an absolute yes. classic and just enjoy that. And an away draw at Newcastle is fine. Seven points from the first three games. No catastrophe, no disaster. Some issues there. But yeah, just just enjoy it. It was it was a bit of everything in a football match and uh it's hard it is hard because you've been ahead, then you've been behind and then you get it back to level. It's hard to know what what you should think but I think at the end of the day no conclusions it was just it did sum up a lot of the first half of the season and it was just a brilliant football match yeah so week after we City beat um, Palace 4-2 coming back from two goals down once again um, absolutely just trounced Forest in comprehensive and you know fairly easy fashion it has to be said then came that game at Villa which is Oh, yeah, let's just kind of move on from that one. Um, and then an easy uh, win at Wolves as well, which we haven't done in the past as well, so that was good to see. Then came the Manchester derby. Um, United had started their season horrendously, but were really getting into shape, really getting kind of looking much better proposition. Um, ben, can you remember how you felt going into this derby? Um, I remember being very confident um, and given, you know, in hindsight, when I look back, given that the form the United are in, maybe I was misguided to, to feel that confident um, or as transpired, you know, maybe I wasn't. But can you remember how you felt going into it? I think at, at home particularly, I think always always confident uh, and, and, you know, confidence against, against United. And as you said, they'd had um, those defeats against Brighton and Brentford when they were literally, you know, it was, it was comedy watching those yeah. games so you know there was certainly although they 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 picked it up a bit and I think the game before they'd beaten Arsenal I still think you know there was there was many doubters out about them so yeah so I think I felt confident um I didn't uh, so I, I thought we'd win I didn't sort of think that you know we'd get the result or the performance that actually turned out to be and you know particularly not not the start that was the most impressive thing on the on the day was how and, you know, we obviously did see this later on in the season in those big games as how we absolutely flew out the blocks at them, um, which is brilliant. And, and yeah, and how, how the game unfolded from there was, uh, yeah, as, as we'll go on, was one of the best games of the season, I think. 
Well, as you say, yeah, we flew out the blocks, um, which is always fantastic to see in, in a derby. And uh, the pattern of the game was established right from the off with an early scramble of chances for the Blues. Um, we buzzed around the edge of their area in numbers. We were seeing those kind of quick triangular passes that you know, we're so familiar with down kind of either flanks, um, the overloads, and United were at sixes and sevens throughout. How, how, how satisfying was this to see? Um, it's always, it always is, of course, but in a derby, when you see this, you think, we are going to win today. You just you know a couple of minutes in, don't you? Mm. Of course, I'm still scarred by that <laughs> match when we could have won the league and we're 2-0 up at half-time. Should have been let six. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I you watched the highlights. I don't know if it was City feed, but I remember, I think it was City feed. I don't know if it was Alistair Mann or someone. It's like yes, saying, United brilliant coming, Alistair Mann. United come it. into this on in good form uh, mm. but as we didn't know at the time they would get some big results at home whereas away they weren't all that at all mm. now, I think it was after an international break as well was it not so those and the 3-0 at Wolves was a great result but I remember probably an early kickoff thing I wasn't impressed with how we played to be honest the Greeley scoring after a minute helped so was bit unsure about this one but that it's Derby Day so I'm going to be anyway because it's Derby Day and bizarrely over the past decade the away team in a Derby has often done better sometimes than the home team but the brilliant thing is I mean we've said it many times it was probably the greatest 45 minutes I've seen City play though by the end of the season it probably wasn't (laughs) yeah uh, which says it you know I mean it's only United after all yeah, there were like two. I don't. There was at least one, wasn't there? Like big scramble before a goal went in, uh, where it was. I think De Gea saved one, and De Bruyne had a shot, and then it was cleared by someone else. There was a scramble later on as well, and it just they were cutting them apart so so easily down those inside channels. It was just ridiculous. Yeah, and you look at the highlights for that first half, and I. I don't think there's one that shows our half of the pitch until about five minutes into the highlights. <laughs> and yeah, it's four, it's four, you know, spoiler alert, it's four by half time. We could have easily had a couple more than that by that stage. Oh, yeah. It was just, I don't think I appreciated at the time what was going on in front of me because I sit in the south stand. So the city always kick that way first half, which I do actually find annoying. But it was great for me to see this uh, right in front of me at that end of the ground. Just tear them to pieces. Yeah, it. you, you dream of days like this, don't you, uh, in the past. And I could not have envisaged how dominant we were and how easily we were tearing them to pieces. You look at the, the latter goals in the second half and the United's defence were just abhorrent. I mean, it's absolute, um, Foden's for the sixth goal, um, just look at that from a United perspective. <laughs> it's that is comical. Um, you don't even see that in five aside, you know. Um, but that first half, was there anything United could do to withstand that, Ben? Or, or could could it be said that United were as terrible as City were brilliant that day? It's it's always hard um, to, to to judge this sort of thing. There was such a huge onslaught from us, and I think that front three. Um, a, a Foden, uh, Harland, and Grealish was was awesome, and I think you know 
have had one of his days where he just seemed to be breaking from midfield time and time again. So I would say, you know, we were absolutely relentless in our pressure. Um, but yeah, there was many times where they basically looked like statues and didn't know where they ca- they came. They they were and and um, and as you said, in terms of those goal mouth scrambles, it was literally ricochet after ricochet. Um, you know, they they couldn't handle our movement. So it is always hard to say this. I would say that, you know, they were, you know, in terms of the balance and stuff, we were, it's probably like a, a 70-30 or something in terms of, yeah. you know, we were, we were superb. Um, could they have done better, made it a bit more harder, harder for us? Of course they could, but, um, but I, you know, not many teams are going to stop us, I think, when we're in that, in that form. I remember there was a lot of talk beforehand about Casemiro, whether he'd start or not. Um, I mean, it obviously wouldn't have made that much difference given the disparity in, in kind of quality on, on the pitch, but um, he would have made a difference, I, w- I believe, to, to United. Um, Ten Hag made a, an error on, on the day. Um, how would you mention about Grealish scoring in the first minute the previous week against Wolves, but this is Manchester United. This is Man U. <laughs> this is Man U we're talking about. It's he United. Was, <laughs> United. He was sublime, Grealish, and he. this was by far and away his best performance to date mm. uh, in a seat shirt. Was this his big announcement? Was this his big breakthrough? Um, yeah. Was it a, a very important game in Jack Grealish's evolution as a Manchester City player? I think so. I remember the previous week uh, thinking he needed that goal as well. Yeah. Like, does does Is he just going to be better this season or does he need moments that, you know, like, get his conf- is it a confidence thing? Is it belief? Can one game or something, something will click in his head that he'll believe in himself and start putting in the performances? So I was happy for the goal the week before. Uh, I don't think you can ultimately pinpoint one game or anything, but if you're going to turn it on in a Manchester derby and where your team puts six, you know, four nil up at half time, puts six past United, and it's a good a time as any to to get your confidence up, your belief up, and kickstart your career. You know, I say kickstart's going a bit too far into in his second season, but to really push on and try and. Uh, make a success of your, your move to City. So, yeah, I do think they were quite, United were quite giving in. <laughs> they helped in a way that there were those spaces, but that's that's what Jack Grealish would destroy you if you allow him space and time to run at you, and that's exactly what happened. So there were so many great things to take out of this day, of course, including that the two hat-trick heroes, but I think... Grealish's performance is another one of them, yeah. And definitely. Yeah, he didn't really look back. Yeah, yeah. Um there's nearly Foden strike. I can't believe I'm just gonna whiz through three goals against Manchester United here, but it's an early Foden strike, put us ahead, then two goals in quick succession, halfway through the half from Haaland, put us out of sight. Um by the end of the game. Erling Haaland had scored 17 goals in 11 starts at a rate of a goal every 54 minutes. Now, we've already touched on his supposed or otherwise lack of touches, Ben. But this was definitely getting to the point now. Was it his third consecutive hat-trick at home in the, in the league where it was hard to make sense of it? Um, I, I vividly recall 
two or three occasions this season, having to double check his stats when putting them down in articles and, and such because they just didn't make sense. Uh, was that the same with you? I mean, even, you know, moving past the fact that it's a City player and we're City fans, even just from a, a, a football fan's perspective and watching, you know, football all of our lives, this was such an outlier. It just didn't make sense, did it? No, and I think... I, I had the, the feeling that at some point he would, it would, you know, sort of plateau. And I know he, yeah. he slowed down a little bit towards the end of the season, but basically something that we've never seen up close, certainly at City, is, you know, basically somebody that scored more more goals than they've played. So I sort of thought at some point he'll catch up with him. Uh, and, you know, he, he may have like a bit of a, a bit of a barren spell, but I think what we've never seen and never, never felt certainly is when, you know, when we used to go to the game, um, it didn't, it didn't used to be, you know, I wonder if he'll score. It would literally be how many, um, and, you know, and I've never felt that. And you know, we, we started calling him like Mr. Inevitable because you just knew he would score and equally you knew if he would score, you know, one in the first 10 or 15 minutes, there was a really, really good chance that he was going to get a hat trick, which is just a crazy thing to, to say. And, I'm sure. I'm sure you guys are, are similar to me, and you start talking to. When I was talking, I remember like literally boring my wife with it and saying, "He's doing this sort of thing," and she'd be like rolling her eyes at me, sort of thing. And, <laughs> you know, and I'd be saying, "Yeah, but this just doesn't happen. People just yeah. don't score this many goals and do this many, you know, this many thing and break this many records." Um, so yes, yeah, so it was just it was just mind blowing. And I guess, as I say, it's not just the fact that he was doing this then; is that he literally maintained it, you know, for nine months of the season pretty much so it, it was just awesome everything that dropped to him he just he just dispatched and it you know it was, it was something that we've not seen before and not just dispatched the goals as well there was a, a brilliant assist for Foden to make it forward just before the break um you've already said how that goal stay ah it's glorious it really was sweeping a sweeping yeah. goal majestic <laughs> Um, you've said how that this was the best 45 minutes of football you've seen, possibly under Guardiola, would you say, to, at that point? Is it fair to, to say that? Yeah, if we, unless we say that it's just United and the crap, I don't know. Yeah, oh, fair Even enough. Brentford, even Brentford, we'll get to them. We're 4-0 up at half time against <laughs> them, so. Uh, yeah. It but, was, it was just, I mean, in the context of a derby as well, then, I mean, yes. I don't, obviously, as Everyone will know I don't have a photographic memory. But, and I, I would say, in the one that we ended up losing 3-2, we were probably as dominant yet in that first half against United. Let it go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but only got two, missed some chances, Sterling did, of course, and then paid for it in the second half. But this was four, and there could have been another two or three on top of that. So, yeah, it was it was pretty much perfection. 45 minutes I mean well, how can you have a derby tied down by half time it's just <laughs> astonishing yeah. Gundogan yeah. hit the post remember on that that free kick yeah glorious free kick and the, the the best of that is when you rewatch it look out for Kev's reaction as well it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's it is funny isn't it he's just um but what I was saying, Howard, I mean, it was just a, a glorious 45 minutes of football in every conceivable way not least the enjoyment of seeing United at the other end of it but and I'm not excusing United here in any way, shape or form, but when City are that rampant, and we've seen it a good few times now under Pep, 
is there any side in the world that could withstand them? Because you, you look at that first 45 minutes and just the relentlessness of it and the quality and, and just, just everything, you do think, well, no one, Bayern, Barca, Real Madrid, no one in modern history, no team could withstand but that, surely. Ultimately, the, the, the stat that you could use to say, to answer that, is our Champions League record now. Mm. At home. Yes. We yeah. are pretty much unbeatable at home. Yeah. Against anyone in the Champions League. Now, of course, it's like, well, how on earth are we losing games at home in the league? Because because ultimately, over 38-game season, you will wane. The intensity won't be the same. On, and our third game will absolutely show that. It's just not the same. But Champions League are occasions where the group stages maybe not again because it's it seems... Yeah, like a done deal a lot of the time now under Pep to get through them. But knockout stage, a knockout game at home in the Champions League is the perfect example of that. Of City, you know, City will be focused, the players will be focused, and they'll be on it. And we win games almost every single time we're at home against any team in the Champions League. We win games, and that shows the level when they're on it. No one can match us. Yeah. That's fair. Um, after a brilliant consolation from Anthony, and I'm happy to say it was brilliant, um, there comes a hat-trick from Haaland, his third in a row, at, as I said, at home in the Premier League, which is just crazy. And to me, the best City goal of the game just absolutely dissected the Reds. Um, Foden makes it six. Again, as I said earlier, the, the, the defending from United is just atrocious at that point. Um Ben, two City fans scoring a hat-trick apiece as City score six for the first time ever at home in the derby. Doesn't get any better, does it? No, it doesn't. And it was great to see, um, you know, Foden get that goal. And actually, then watching the, the highlights back, it reminded me a little bit of that turn he did um, in the Champions League final was mm. pirouettes with the yes. ball sticking to his foot, feet. Um, but, and, and again, you know, all United players stood around like statues and there was an offside shout, I think, wasn't there, where, because he, he looked so free of anybody. Yeah. Um, he got the ball and, you know, and another another really good finish. But, but yeah, it was it was a great a great performance. And, and from those two, you know, th- those two were there to finish it off. But as we as we touched on, Grealish was involved in, in, in that goal. He was involved in um, the Haaland hat-trick where he sort of, you know, each thing... Was, was coming off for, for Grealish for probably the first time that, that we'd seen on a consistent basis, you know, for an entire match. I think we'd seen mat- spells in matches where he'd, you know, done something good, but this was probably the first time I can remember that he'd he'd sort of been doing it for the whole 90 minutes and involved in, in many of the goals. Um, but yeah, Foden and Haaland scoring a hat-trick and, of course, as you say, both boyhood City fans. It's been brilliant to see. Um. Howard, on the nature of this, this pod today is to look at the defining games and the ones where you think, okay, that kind of shaped our season. But it could also be said that this 6-3 against United at home is very much a, an individual game, you know, just one for us, the fans. In in that regard, we've been fortunate to see some incredible football under Pep Guardiola and we've enjoyed some incredible times as City fans post-takeover. Where does this game rank amongst them in terms purely in terms of your enjoyment of it as a supporter? Yeah, I think there's about there's a twenty minute spell in the second half where we are six one up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
where I sat in the South Stand was just the most enjoyable, chilled out. <laughs> I mean, how can I... Honestly, I could have lit a cigar and put my feet up in a second half of a derby and just <laughs> soak it all up. It's just nonsense, to be honest. I think it's very hard to, to have definitive games. I'm not knocking this seriously. Uh, well, it it's like very it. hard to have them in the first half of the season because, as this season showed, anything can happen in the second. That's the business end of the season is is more definitive in a way. But I think it was an absolute perfect. It's defining nature. It was a perfect reminder to me, pessimists like me, those who worried that United might be getting better now and might be about to challenge, and they will one day. This was definitive and it showed where the two clubs were at yeah because absolutely. i mean it was just like it really was like playing a league one side with your full strength side and at times in that match and you know i still don't think it was a penalty at the end uh, a couple of late goals left to be a bit frustrated but city eased off after the sixth goal you know what could it have been I mean, if they really if they needed goal difference if they needed to win by more what could this game have ended up as yeah. Uh, yeah I think that's its importance it's right up there for being in a derby and the feeling I felt of just I don't know just the calm and, and pure bliss that I felt for 20 minutes and of course the, the away fans were to our right and there's no better experiences there than just giving it to United fans in the derby when you're so far ahead that nothing can possibly go wrong at that point. It's as good as it gets, really. Yeah, although, uh, as you touched on there, it was a ludicrous penalty at the end. Absolutely ludicrous. Um, and I was a touch frustrated, I have to say, because 6-3, of course, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a battering. We all know that. But just from someone who... It doesn't watch much of a day later on that night and, you know, doesn't support either club. Just seeing the result on its own looks like United put up a fight and it didn't. They were absolutely comprehensively outclassed. It's, this is the, I've given up on XG. It's such nonsense now. I think it was like City had 22 shots to United's 12, which doesn't tell you the story at all. The XG was like three and a half to one and a half. Yeah. To me... I, you know, forget the XG. Watch the match. That was that was like a seven-one game, I reckon. Yeah, I'd say that would have been a par score. So it could have been ten. It could have it been could 10. have been ten, and it should we should have gone for it. So game yeah. management ace only scoring six against United. So and yeah. it was and it was also, of course, Phil Foden's first hat trick for City. So yeah, I don't know if it was his first. Was it his first derby goals? I don't know actually. No, I don't think no. So. Don't uh, but yeah, he got the ball signed afterwards and uh, Bernardo Silva had written on it tapping merchant or something tapping <laughs> king or something and he went did he not see my first goal because that first goal was just majestic into that first yeah. so yeah, there were so many majestic him, moments in it not just the goals itself and the domination yeah and um, City then cruise past Southampton lose at Anfield um, and then go on a, a nice little winning streak, uh, beating Brighton in a very tough game against an excellent Brighton side. Um, beating Leicester away, was that Kev? It was Kev, wasn't it? Um, and then the Fulham game, um, a real tricky one, the Fulham game. And it just felt like it was going to be one of those games where there's going to be a sucker punch, um, as we often see. Uh, in a city creation once or twice a season, there is a sucker punch. There is one of those smashing grabs. Um, 
ultimately that wasn't the case and we scored what's 98th minute from Haaland um, but that kind of portented as to what came next really because we did struggle to break down Fulham despite racking up a huge amount of chances um, and then we go into the Brentford game our last game before the World Cup um, we can't contrast enough the start we had Ben in the derby to the start we saw that afternoon it, we just looked lacklustre right from the opening whistle didn't we yeah we did and I think again watching watching the highlights for, in preparation for this pod, I was quite surprised, to be honest, how I mean, maybe it's just they, they did a good job of the highlights, but we basically didn't look as bad as I remembered. I mean, I remember being there in the afternoon and sort of feeling like it was a very frustrating game from the start, really, where, where Brentford constantly frustrated us. But we did have quite a lot of chances um, and obviously had loads, loads of the ball. Um, between this and the Fulham match, as you you probably alluding to, I guess it sort of felt like between the two matches that maybe our luck would run out in terms of, you know, we, again, we were good against Fulham, but we, we left it late and, you know, Cancelo got sent off and the penalty, which sort of changed that game. But I guess over the two matches, um, looking back at them now is, um, um, you know, I guess one of them had to give. It sort of it feels a little bit like that. Um, but yeah, it felt like, you know, I wouldn't say, Brentford, I guess Brentford did do a job on us sort of thing, but we were, as I say, we were in it and played a little bit better than actually how frustrated I was on the on the day, which, you know, probably just shows you how much the, the result takes over your thinking and, and your memory. Yeah, no, that's fair. I would certainly say that the first kind of 15, 16 minutes, Brentford were the better side. I think that's fair to say. And, and the carved us open twice and, and two really good chances before they yeah. took the lead. Um but thereafter, yeah, I, I mean, you know, City applied pressure and pressure and pressure and, and did what, what we do so well, but it just was one of those afternoons. Um, what's the World Cup on the players' minds, Howard, do you think? We'll never know, but that's my excuse for the performance. So I've yeah. watched the highlights and it is as bad as I remember it. So. Yeah. <laughs> we had like a 93-20, well, Ace and Lloyd were out afterwards, yeah. Uh, and yeah, some, and Ali as well, some glum faces and yeah, I think you weren't, you couldn't make it stay at the big 9320 pod meetup afterwards. How typical that City go and ruin it. Just like the old days, a great day apart from the football. So I, yeah, there was two good chances before they scored. The first goal was a bit weird. I don't know if it, it was, was it Tony's goal? I don't know. It, you know he jumped yeah, up with the defender. Didn't right it? to be given to him. Yeah. And they were yeah. just, yeah, they were tearing us to pieces. I know, we could we can only guess, can't we? But it felt that way. It felt like last game before the World Cup, City players were about five percent off the pace. I don't know how many players Brentford had going to the World Cup, but it obviously would have been a lot lot less than City. It's not an excuse, of course, but it can be a reason, an explanation. And yeah, Brentford, of course, would take plenty of scalps during the season. They're looking at the results, not quite as many as the press make out. Uh, but they had already beaten United 4-0, which I guess counted for very little at the start of the season. And I think they drew at Arsenal as well later in the season and would do the double over us, but of course the last game didn't matter. So they had they had form for this and they're clearly brilliantly organised with dangerous players. They, they sussed City out 
But the, surely you've got to say there was something missing from City that day. And it wasn't issues from early in the season or structure or anything like that. I think it was. I think quite a few players on that pitch would have gone out there professionally, but also you can't ignore at the back of your mind, please don't pick up an injury today. Yeah. There's just no time. Even a minor injury against Brentford would see you miss the World Cup. And that's got to play in your mind to some extent. Was it Madison against West Ham? And he went mm. off, didn't he? Um, and that was, in the great scheme of things, that was a minor injury because ultimately he was available for the World Cup. But, you know, he, that was really hard to, to see. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It wasn't a case of, you know, oh, if I pull a ham, hammy today, I might still be okay for the World Cup. It was a case of if anything went wrong, very likely you're going to miss out. Um, so City... You know, persevered, created chances. As Ben said, plays possibly better than we remember, in, in, you know, because of the result kind of overshadows all of that. Um, and it possibly overshadows as well one of my favourite City goals of the season. Phil Foden's strike on the half volley actually connects with the roof of a net from distance. That's how much of an exocet missile it was. Um, ben, what do you recall of that? Um, and also, as, as, as well as the quality of the goal, did you then think, okay, bad 45 minutes, we're going to be all right in the second half? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, again, based on our, our form, just generally and, and how we play typically at home, you know, it does it does feel a bit inevitable, really, that, you know, we will we will get through these games and we will win them. Um, but for Foden's goal, yeah, I mean, it's just all about his technique and we know how, how, how much of a great technician he is and the ball sort of bounces back to him, as you say, catches it on the half volley, but a little bit more different in, to, to most players. He sort of catches it on the up and, um, and my seat is just to the left of the goal. So I was almost behind that and he literally followed it like an arrow right into the top corner um, and the keeper had no chance. But it was a it was a great goal. But, you know, we had, if, if you remember again, right, I remember right in front of my seat, there was that decision whereby um, I think Bernardo went to take on one of their players and it kicked up off one of the, mm. their players hand yes. but they gave they gave it outside the area and it's I I remember being absolutely convinced that that was a that was a penalty it is um, and yeah. yeah I mean it's I think I think yeah. when when I watched I watched the highlights last night I was the, the commentator says that the player is is on the outside of the line but if you actually watch it his feet are on the outside of the line but his, his arm is definitely in the box um, so yeah, so that that was a penalty, um, and it, it it fell. Obviously, the goal came shortly after that. But it, again, to add to us not being at our best, it felt like one of those games where it was going against us. And and as you touched on earlier, Brentford. I guess the difference maybe in in some of the other games, Brentford did look um, they looked like they were going to score. To be honest, each time they did have one of those breaks. Um, it looked like you know they were they were getting through us and actually getting decent chances rather than you know sometimes we might see an opposition go up, go up the other end and you know blaze a shot wide or over but they were they were getting closer and closer as the sort of game went on. I mean, in my head, it felt like that winner was coming, so I don't know if I'm misremembering it. I didn't feel like we were absolutely putting them no. under the cush and trying to find a winner, which is what the commentary suggested at the time when they scored a winner, and of course they should have had a third after they. Went ahead in injury, deep into injury time. <laughs> yeah. So fearless play for Brentford. Yeah. Well done to them. Uh, De Bruyne of all persons, uh, people clearing off the line. So 
you've just reminded me as well that, that there was a VAR check in the derby match, wasn't there, for the ball not being over the line near the yes. halfway line. It's for like, goal. What a yeah. cracking reminder of people who just can't understand the concept of a whole ball being over the whole of a line because it was... <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm just... It, you've got to give credit to Brentford for this performance. It was near perfection. I think they played mm. it perfectly. But there was something wrong with City this day. Um, do you know what really amusing me? I mean, obviously, by the nature of this podcast, we're, we're revisiting these games. We're looking at the big instance of his games. So it, this, they're going to come to light and they're going to be discussed. But still, we've won the treble. We've been absolutely incredible, particularly the second half of the season. We've made history. And yet the three of us are still going, oh, that should have that should have been a red for Trippier, you know? And, and that was a penalty. <laughs> I love that. We'll... <laughs> That's football supporters all over, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. I guess um, the definitive games in... Are we doing two more of these or one more? So, however many um, there are, yeah. they're all going to be good ones, aren't they? Let's be honest. I would, I would like us to do um, one exactly like this, but after the World Cup, and maybe include the Spurs defeat. Um, but, but I have two, obviously, kind of really good games after that. And then maybe a Champions League one. Mm. Um, pivotal games in the Champions League. But um, just to kind of get back to... Brentford, obviously a late, late sucker punch. Horrible way to go into a, into a three-week break. Now, the stats, I mean, 74.6% possession, a ridiculous 29 attempts on goal. That is ridiculous. Ben, did this was this a typical smash and grab? Um, as I said earlier, one we're always going to encounter once a season. Or did it expose any issues that later became more apparent after the World Cup? I think in this game particularly, I remember it being particularly susceptible to that long ball um, and their keeper, Raya, um, was particularly yeah. good with his sort of like long distribution. He was literally putting it like right on uh, Tony's head or, you know, Ben, ben May obviously for the goal. Um, so, I mean, that isn't something that we come up against often, I guess. Um, but as I said earlier, they did it did feel like a goal was coming and like Howard said, it did feel like a goal was coming from them and it did feel like they were, they were able to score against us, I guess. Um, I, it's hard to say whether, it, you know, it exposed issues because I guess the way that our season sort of went is we, we, there was a, a small, you know, there was a start of the season where we did well, a, a small period of time before and slightly after the world cup. And then we sort of kicked on. So I guess we solved those issues quite quickly in the end. Um, but yeah, I think I think they were good. I will I give them a bit more credit than you know to say it's like a smash and grab versus like you know the old days of us playing Bolton or Everton or something where it'd be hmm. one shot, one goal, get out of there. Mm. Yeah, um, I think they were a bit a bit better than that. And you know, as we've said before on this pod, Thomas Frank's a pretty a pretty good coach. Um, so yeah, I give them I give them more credit than a smash and grab, but and we were not our best as well. Um, Howard at the night three twenty um meetup, I'm sure, you know, it was doom and gloom after because you know we just lost at home to Brentford. But when you kind of came home and a couple of days to stew about the result, what were your thoughts as regards to City in that first half of the season? Were, were you were there any concerns for you? Were you thinking at this stage something's not quite right and we're not gonna win the league this year? Or were you more optimistic than that? Yeah, I felt something wasn't quite right. Well, I could right off the Brentford one. I say it was pre-World Cup. 
I could write off the Fulham one because we did have, we won, obviously, but we had 10 men for most of the match. Yes, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, but there were other games around there. What was, did you mention, what What was the game, the other games before then, sorry? Um, those um, three wins, wasn't it? It was Fulham yeah, win, but, and beat Leicester, beat Brighton. Yeah, so Brighton were one of the best sides that came to us. I felt we were lucky to win 3-1. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Howitzer, I think, at the end to seal it. Leicester was a really poor game with that free kick that just somehow, Kevin De Bruyne's yeah. free kick that hit the middle of the post and went in. There was The results were coming in, but the performances weren't. Hmm. Uh, now Pep would have a month by himself <laughs> during the World Cup to, to sort these things out. So I wasn't absolutely panicking, although overly worried. But we were deep into the season already and it felt like, yeah, we hadn't found our system or our mojo yet. And I, I think I was I was glad of the break, to be honest, the World Cup, the craziness of it, for Pep to have a think about how to change things. It just didn't feel like the team was functioning anywhere near as well as it could do at that point. So, And of course, Arsenal would get 50 points from the first half of the season. Not that we'd reached that point yet. So they were setting a pace already. It did feel troublesome at that time, definitely. Well, that leads us nicely into part two of this key game series. Um, so don't miss that next Friday. In the meantime, um, that's a wrap for today, I think. So thank you very much for joining me today, Ben. No problem at all, Steve. I really enjoyed looking back at a few of those games. Yeah, yeah, particularly the derby. <laughs> and thank you, Howard. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed that. So. And thanks as ever for listening in. Uh, be well. Enjoy the sunshine, everyone. And forever up the treble winning blues. <laughs>